Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 122 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 8th of December 2013, entitled The Glorious Church of Jesus Christ, Part 54. And the Bible reading is taken from 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. All right, if you'd like to be opening your Bibles for our scripture reading this morning, uh, we'll be looking again at, uh, at 1 John this morning. Uh, chapter 2. It's been several weeks, so hopefully you haven't uh, lost track of where we, uh, where we were. But, uh, of course, uh, uh, last Sunday I was preaching away, and, and uh, a couple of Sundays before that, that uh, we've had other things going on. And uh, so we're going to, to come back, and I want to give you, I guess, something that I hope can be both practical and encouraging to you this morning, of course, for um, most of you are aware that uh, in our Contending for the Faith series that uh, we have been uh, for some time talking about the glorious church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, as we've looked at that and all the various things to do with that, we have uh, come down to what we have been looking at for uh, uh, the last few times that we have looked here, and that is the, uh, the defense. Of, of that church. Um, I've asked you to keep in mind that, uh, of course, it was Jesus Christ that said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Uh, so in the whole spectrum of things, regardless of what happens in uh, society, and our governments, and the world around us, uh, there is always going to be Uh, that remnant that belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is building his church in one day. That what we would term the church, the universal church, the uh, one body of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, will be called out of here and assembled together for the first time in the air uh, with Jesus Christ, our Lord and our head of that church. But in the meantime, we are grouped together in the local churches, that is the visible body of the Lord Jesus Christ on this earth. Well, the church is going to be here as far as the body of Christ, but as we look around, we often take for granted that the church, the local church, will just always be here. Uh, Whenever that I feel like going along or whenever it's convenient, whenever I need something, whenever I need it, it's going to be there. But folks, That is a deception of Satan. All you have to do is look around. There are many places where churches used to meet that they no longer meet. We know that just because Bethel Free Baptist Church has been meeting here in this building since 1931, that doesn't mean that a church will still be here next year or the year after or five years from now or when the Lord Jesus Christ returns for us. You can have all the buildings in the world. But I got news for you. Empty church buildings don't do a lot for you. They don't accomplish a whole lot. And so, yes, though Jesus Christ is the great defender, and we've been singing about that, and we've looked at many things to depend there, what I'm talking about is the defense of the local church, the body of believers here. Don't take for granted just just because it has been here that it will continue to be here. We can't go back, but the first thing that we really 
looked at concerning that was the occupation of the church. If there are not people that are gathered together in those buildings that are called churches, then there is no church. It's just another empty building, and that's all that it is. It doesn't matter if it says church over the door. In everything that we've studied about the church, we've seen that it is the people, the body of Christ. It's you that makes up this local church. So we looked at a number of things, and if you'll allow me to just uh, remind you, the simple truth is, is that Bethel Free Baptist Church will only be here as long as there are people that are committed to occupy this place where God has put us. And, of course, we've talked about that occupying. That doesn't mean just filling your spot in a seat. It's important that you're there. We talked about the commitment that is required. But then we recognize that, first of all, it's going to begin. There's only going to be a church to defend if there are a committed body of people that are committed together to each other. And to the Lord Jesus Christ as their head, only then will that church even be there and exist in the first place. Great songwriter says, hold the fort, for I am coming. You see, we need some people to hold the fort for Bethel Free Baptist Church. We need some people to occupy, to do that which the Lord has left us to do. But as we've looked at all those things and those things, we said that you need to understand one other thing in the defense. There's got to be somebody there to defend it. There's got to be somebody that is occupying, but there will be opposition. There's going to be opposition. In 1 John chapter 2, we take our reading from verses 15 through 17. I invite you to stand with me for a moment for the reading of God's holy word this morning. Again, 1 John chapter 2 Verse 15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away in the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Father, we do thank you again today. And Lord, as we take this time to look into your word this morning, I pray, Lord, that you might, by the power of your spirit, speak to our hearts. Help us to realize in the first place, Lord, what a glorious, glorious privilege that it is to be born again and to be a part of your church, of your body. Lord, we praise you and thank you, Lord, for this place that you have preserved here in Ward End, Birmingham. Lord, that the gospel can go out from this place. Lord, we recognize that as we look around us that, Lord, we live in very changing times. Our community has changed so much. Most of the people on our doorsteps today are Muslim rather than Christian or even simply unbelievers. But, Father, we realize that the light needs to still go out from this place. Lord, you have placed this church here, and you've placed most of all the people here that make up this church. And I pray, Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand the importance of the church in this day and what the church is doing. 
And therefore, for us, help us to be reminded that we do have the great defender, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and the victory is ours. I pray that you just help us, Lord, to grasp the scriptures or what you would do with each of our lives individually and our lives corporately, corporately together as a body. We'll give you the praise for it in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Of course, as we look at this passage, we see here the Lord warning against a divided uh, affection. Affection for the world on the one hand and for him. And of course, as he goes on and he says, you know, that as Christians, as his children, that we can't love the world and truly love him at the same time. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. But then he gives us these three important things, which has really been the focus of, of what we're looking at here as we start to begin to think about the opposition that, that's going to be coming against us as we take a strong stand firm for the Lord Jesus Christ for all that is in the world. And he lists the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The lust of the eyes. We see things, and as we see things, we have great desires, and we could run a whole spectrum of just about anything that you can imagine, things that we look upon that are desirable that become too desirable to us. Not only the lust of the eyes, but the lust of the flesh, the things that feel good. Things look good and things feel good. And of course, the pride of life. <laughs> how we feel about ourselves. How we look at ourselves. We find that as we begin to consider these things, and I want to just give you as we, we talked the last time and we talked about a number of things there. And of course, the importance that as we begin to recognize that most of our battles that we have to fight individually and corporately are those battles that come from within. I want to give you three things this morning, and you know, we could look at all kinds of individual oppositions that might come against you in your life. And I've got news for you. You know, you will face opposition. There is absolutely no question about that whatsoever. We focused last time the importance of our attitude towards each other as a body, as a church, our attitude of love and forgiveness and trying to, to build up and to help rather than seeing all the little things that are bad and the negative and how somebody else should, should be doing this or shouldn't be doing that, our attitude towards each other. Is it truly a loving, forgiving attitude that together we have any hope whatsoever? of being a unified force. There are three main areas that I believe that if we speak that you need to be aware that you're going to face opposition. And they're pretty obvious. You see, first of all, Satan opposes the church. Satan opposes the church. Now, we're talking about the true New Testament church. He don't really matter if a whole bunch of people want to get together and call themselves churches and have a bunch of religious doodahs going on. That's just fine. If you're a child of God, 
The Apostle Peter, under inspiration, wrote in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Have any of you ever seen a lion? If you haven't been out in the safari with them, at least in the zoo or something, I mean, they're big animals. Well, I mean, you know, it's not really a, the most comforting thing in the world to realize that here's Satan and my relationship with him is that he is like this roaring lion that is about to pounce upon me and devour me. That's, that's what he wants to do. The Bible said, be sober. Be vigilant. Pay attention. Recognize. Realize. He's there. He's real. And his purpose is your destruction. Count on it. He doesn't want you happy. He doesn't want you to have any peace. He certainly does not want your life to be effective for anything eternal. You can do all kinds of good things that are part of this temporal world. But he certainly doesn't want you to affect eternity in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> I've said before, you know, that most of us, the first image that we have of Satan is this guy in a red suit with horns growing out his head and a pitchfork in his hand. That's not usually how Satan dresses, is it? That's not usually how he walks around. We find, as a matter of fact, that the Bible speaks of him as a thing of beauty. He'll come to you in a very attractive way that will draw you, that will entice you. And I think that his favorite tool is not only within the church as a whole, but with individuals that make up that church because that's how he gets to us. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. You see, Really, all he's got to do is change our desires, make us want the things of the world, make us desire, whether it be, whether it be the financial things, that we want a better life, we want nicer cars, nicer clothes, nicer things that make up our lives, or whether it's the enjoyment of the flesh. You like enjoying a lot of those things that the world does. You like those feelings that the world gives you. You see, he's very subtle. He's not going to stand up there and, and, and let you see him as this, as this ferocious roaring lion that's about to, to pounce upon you. He's going to come to you as a thing of beauty, whether it be in the physical sense that you're looking upon or what you're feeling within. We find that he'll be there. You see, he opposes the church through Desire. That's what these verses are teaching us here, through desire. Just those lusts. You know, it might be even sometimes, you know, we can maybe recognize it. If he come along and he suddenly made you desire to do something that you knew was absolutely wicked, that you knew was a horrible thing, you know, you probably say, whoa, whoa, I'm not going to do that. But he comes with his subtleties. It might be just a desire within the church for large crowds. You see, 
On the one hand, we are, we're to go out and we're to compel them to come in, the Bible says. I'd like to fill up every seat in this place that there was standing room only, that the gospel could be preached, that people's lives could be changed, that a stronger body could go out and, and make a difference in this world around us. But you see, Satan can make us have these desires for the crowds for the wrong reasons. Doesn't matter what it costs. <laughs> we look better as a church if we can just get the crowds in. We can get those crowds in if we change this, if we change that. Might be the music, might be the preaching, might be many of the ministries just to be crowd pleasers. Now, does that mean that we ought to try to be as unpleasing as possible, as unattractive as possible? No. I'm saying, folks, the temptation is to compromise. He doesn't care if there's hundreds or thousands meeting together if it's not the work of Christ that's truly taking place. I don't care how good a time they're having, how much they're enjoying themselves. Satan. He'll destroy the true church through a desire for the wrong things like the large crowds or the lucrative collections. Get in more money. We begin to have all these financial things. You see, most churches in their infancy, in their younger days, they don't have a choice to write the check, to go to the bank, to do these things. And you know what it ends up requiring? It actually ends up with requiring people working together, people doing things together, not just depending on somebody else to do it. It might be a desire, large crowds, lucrative collections, or I said lauded culture, what? The praise of man, the praise of people, to look good in people's eyes. You see, most of the ways that Satan comes in to oppose the church, to oppose you, he's not going to come in. He is. The Bible said, be sober, be vigilant. He is as a roaring lion. He is going about seeking whom he may devour, and he definitely wants to devour you. But when he comes to you to do it, he's going to come to you most of the time not when you see him for who he really is and his real dangers. He's going to come. The Bible says that the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, those desires that I have there, well, the pride of life, the Bible says that uh, those things are not of God. They are of the world. They are of Satan. So we find that Satan will come and Satan will oppose you through your desires. He'll oppose you through deception. He is the great deceiver. He'll do anything he can just to get you to believe wrong, to think wrong, to act wrong. You know, so many of the real conflicts and battles within a church comes from People being deceived. Deception of some kind or another. He wants to discourage you. And he does that because he'll get to working and messing around in your head. 
And he'll get you to focusing upon all the, the bad things, the reasons that you got to feel bad. You see, on the one hand, he's working with your desires, with what you're wanting. On the other hand, he's working with how you're thinking and he wants to get you down and he wants to get you depressed and he wants to convince you of all the wrong things. I've often said, when it's time to make a decision, I don't care how small or big that it seems, you shouldn't do it when you're discouraged. You shouldn't do it when you're angry. You shouldn't do it when you're emotionally either at a high or low, that you're doing what you're doing because of just how you're feeling. That's a deception of Satan so many times. We need to be certain that we are seeing clearly through his eyes, through the eyes of the Word of God. We need to know that we're acting according to his will, that we're not being deceived in some way by the great deceiver himself. Churches are damaged all the time by the thoughts and actions of people that are absolutely convinced that they're right and that they're doing what they're doing for God, and yet they are totally, utterly deceived. They believe that. I haven't met many people. I haven't met many people as a pastor that came up, Brother Andrew, and said, I just want to destroy this church. I just want to rip it up and tear it apart. Now, everybody's idea is I'm doing what's best for the church. This church needs me in order to survive. It needs my ideas and my ways and my things, the pride of life. We all get focused on me. We see all the good in me, but we see every little tiny thing that somebody else does wrong. No hope. <laughs> Devil is winning every time. Satan, through our desires, through deception. And if you would, through dependence, I could say a lot of things there, but, you know, that pride gets to working in us so often that we want to depend on the wrong things. We often want to depend on the things that we are and that we've done and that we've accomplished instead of what God's done and what he's doing and what he will accomplish. Education, you know, <laughs> I honestly, I've looked and I've never found anywhere in the scripture where God somehow tries to give us the idea that we should all be stupid. <laughs> I see a lot of places where he tells us not to be, and he tells us a lot of things that this is so that we won't show our ignorance so many times. We can become dependent not upon what God is teaching us. He tells us to study, to show ourselves approved, rightly dividing the word of truth. We find that he goes on to say that we not be ashamed. God wants us to be educated, but he goes to so much trouble in the scriptures to teach us how that man's education, that Natural man cannot understand the spiritual things of God. And we've got so much around us. We find that education can actually be detrimental to the church sometimes because too much of man's thinking and not enough of God's thinking. You can't learn too many things, but you can depend on the wrong things. 
as we learn and as we begin to grasp and understand the things around us, are we really looking to God? We can come dependent upon the fact that we have studied so much that we've got ourselves so educated that we've gotten so smart in all of our theology and our doctrines and everything else that nobody else out there is going to compare with us. (laughs) We've got it right. I find that that's dangerous. That's what... I guess the old saying says, sometimes you can be too smart for your own good. (laughs) That's getting too smart for your own good when you begin to depend upon what you know instead of depending upon what God knows. Education, finances. (laughs) You know, it's awfully easy. You know, there's times. You know, I I can remember times at Bethel when... (laughs) We had to trust God for the next pot of paint or the next toilet seat or, you know, I mean, literally, there was so much. And it was just a matter of trusting God. If we're not careful, when Satan opposes the church, he comes in and he can get us too dependent upon the fact that, hey, we're doing a lot better financially. We got a little spare money in the bank. We can do this. We can do that. We depend upon our finances rather than our faith upon trusting God. You know, it's great when God blesses. It's kind of nice when you need something that you that you don't have to worry about where the finances are coming from to do it. But I'm saying one of Satan's tricks in opposing the church is to get us dependent upon what we know and what we have, our education and our finances. In our organization. Well, we can plan it all out. We can organize everything. We can have all the right groups for everything. We can get everything so structured. And, you know, I have seen churches that were run in such a haphazard way that it was, it was not an honor to the Lord. We're not saying that we ought to be disorderly, but we're saying that, you know, we, we can get so comfortable, and Satan will use this within us in our pride and the way that we think that we've got it all so planned out because we figured out how to play church so good. We just organize him right out. We organize him right out of the picture. Whether it be in our services when we're meeting together, whether it be in all the things that are going on around us, Satan loves to get you so clever that you just organize God right out of the picture instead of depending upon him. You know, we get too confident in ourselves, in what we have and what we think. That's one of Satan's greatest tools. I said with you last time, you know, that you know the battles come from within. And, you know, we see this picture on the one hand of this roaring lion just looking to see who he can pounce on, who he can devour, the Bible says. But when we begin to look at how he does that devouring and the way that he does it, I'm just saying, be aware. The Bible says, be sober, be vigilant. Recognize we've got an enemy. And if there's anything good that's happening in Bethel Free Baptist Church, then you better believe that that's when he's going to want to oppose what's happening. And he's not going to bring in the armies from the outside. 
Most of his work is going to be done from within through the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. He's our enemy, folks, and he's there. And he wants to make us as weak as he possibly can, and he's going to do that individually within us. And we all have to be careful. You know, I don't think that there's anybody here that doesn't have some of those discouraging moments, some of those times when we get to thinking wrong and acting wrong. But the truth is, is that we need to wake up, we need to be sober, we need to be vigilant. We're all going to have the bad times, but what about right now? What does God want to do with me? This church will never be any stronger and be able to, to fight the battles any more than it's going to with the individuals that make it up. We can build the walls stronger. We can put bars over the windows. We can say we're going to keep all the bad things out. But it's us that come through the doors. And it's us that Satan wants to destroy individually and as a whole. We can look, and we're going to look at a couple of other things, God willing, next week that not only does our opposition come from Satan, but our opposition comes from society. And then I'm going to do a, a full 360, if you would, and come right back, and we need to recognize that for each and every one of us and for this church, our greatest opposition is not from Satan, and it's not from society. It's from self. It's from self. That's where most of the destruction will come from. But we don't have to. We've got the victory. Yeah, he gets to me sometimes. I wish I could tell you, boy, the devil never gets to me. He'll never pull the wool over my eyes. Sometimes I have to look at myself and say, you stupid idiot. <laughs> That's what God says, but look what you're doing. Look what you're believing. And he's doing it through what I'm looking at and what I'm feeling, what I know. And I just need to depend upon him. I'm going to sing a closing hymn this morning. And, you know, I want you to be aware that the enemy's there. You know, praise God, I could, I could almost turn Pentecostal for a second and jump a few of these seats. The victory's ours. Nothing can separate us from him. We don't have to be defeated. The defense of the church is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He is our defense. And Jesus Christ is in me and he's in you if you're a believer today. So therefore, yes, be aware. Watch out for Satan's tricks. But you don't have to be afraid of him. <laughs> you don't have to fear that lion. Because I want to tell you something. In Jesus Christ, oh, you know, it's just amazing what he can get us to believe sometimes and the way that we think and the things that are going on in our heads. Sometimes it takes us a while to realize, hey, <laughs> that's not God's thinking. That's not the mind of Christ that I'm using there today. There is opposition, and we best wake up and recognize and be aware of it. But praise God. We're the victors.
We're going to win this battle. There are more souls out here that will be saved if we'll let Christ do the work through us. And this church will stand regardless of what comes against it as long as Jesus Christ is here in the person of committed, born-again children that are trusting in Jesus Christ and walking with Jesus Christ and accomplishing His work in this community, in this city, and around the world. We can have confidence, not in me. You might do better with another preacher. Not in you, not as an individual of getting your way, but together. You and I committed together. Us committed together and committed to the Lord Jesus Christ in everything that we do. You know, one of the hardest things, <clears throat> I know I've told you before, one of the hardest things for a pastor is to stand here and to look across the congregation and to see so much potential <laughs> to see what God could do to turn this community and this city upside down right here. What God could do through you, what God could do through us together, and yet so little of it being a reality because the old deceiver is doing his job good. <laughs> We're looking at the wrong things. We're feeling the wrong things. We're thinking the wrong things. And he's beating us. But we can have the victory over him. 